Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor of Airline Weekly, Madhuni Christian, and I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and Airline Weekly. Today, we talk about uh, the massive new aid program um, that the Canadian government has extended to Air Canada and possibly could be in negotiations with other Canadian airlines to to uh, to offer their own aid programs. I mean, this is uh, Canada has stood out for the last year in not supporting the airline industry. So this is kind of a remarkable change. We also talk about uh, sort of a curtain raiser on uh, the first quarter earnings for U.S. carriers. Why LATAM is retiring its A350s. And what they may be smoking in Denver with Frontier adding so many new routes. Thank you for joining us. You can reach me at meu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er, that's er for Edward Russell at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new issue of the weekly drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello there, Edward Ned Russell. How are you? Hey, Madhu. Good to be back. Thanks for joining us this week again. I know it's your job, but thank you for joining us. You were off last week and we missed you, but we're uh, we're glad to have you back. Always a pleasure. So, Ned, let's talk about Canada. Canada A. <laughs> yeah, Canada A. I mean, so it, it, this was an interesting announcement that happened earlier this week. Um, Ottawa decided to extend Air Canada, $5 billion roughly U.S., um, in an aid package after sort of standing put all through the pandemic, even as the country's airline industry um, asked for for aid. I know it's it's really quite remarkable. It's been over a year since the U.S. airlines received their first fifty billion dollars in aid from the CARES Act, and Canada Canada's airlines have struggled throughout. Air Canada and WestJet have suspended destinations. They've laid off or furloughed staff, and, and Porter Airlines has shut down entirely. Well, Porter and Air Transit, actually. Right. And so, finally, uh, Air Can- Canada's government seems to be stepping up and providing some relief, at least to Air Canada. It's not uh, industry-wide yet. Right. And, this, and, uh, and to add to that as well, I mean, Canada's had some of the most stringent travel restrictions worldwide. I mean, not any sort of international traffic coming into Canada is even further choked off with recent, uh, well, in January when the government instituted a quarantine in addition to a negative PCR test. So it's, uh, and the, the quarantine, by the way, has to be approved by the government and can cost passengers up to, you know, $2,000 or something in that ballpark. So it, it's really draconian. And, and and, you know, Canada, like the U.S., is a vast country. It's much bigger. It relies on its air transport network. So um, it was always surprising to me that uh, Canada did not step up to aid its airline industry, especially, you know, as you mentioned, the U.S., but also Euro- European carriers. European governments extended their carriers lar- lavish aid packages. Singapore, I mean, all most developed countries have have have, most developed economies have um, aided the sector. So it was really a, it's really remarkable. It really is. Uh, I, I agree. You know, Canada is a, is a country that relies on its airlines and, and yeah, they've, uh, they've, they've not helped the sector with, with their combination of, like you said, tests, uh, PCR tests and quarantines and everything. I believe a call uh, Air Canada CEO saying in a recent earnings call, you know, they, they support either quarantines or tests, but uh, by gosh, not both and not without aid. So 
you know, this can't come, uh, you know, it's, it's good news for the industry. And uh, you also found out, Mitu, recently that more aid might be on the way? Yeah, rumor has it, or at least the sources I spoke to said that uh, the uh, government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to d- deliver its budget to Parliament on April 19th. And there could be more aid to the, to the industry coming in that budget. Now, all the Canadian carriers I, I talked to were playing it pretty close to the vest. So maybe by the time this podcast goes to air, there will be more news to report. But as of now, it's just to Air Canada. And it's about $5 billion. And it's an interesting, I mean, uh, Ned, I think, that, I think one of the things that stood out to me was the requirement to buy Canadian aircraft. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, I was actually surprised in there. So it's a re, um, a sort of a recommitment to their existing order for 33 220s. Uh, I almost expected them to have Air Canada reconfirm the, I believe it was 12 that they canceled last year. Uh, you know, listeners can can check the numbers on me. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it it they're only recommitting to what they had after the cancellation. So I'm surprised they didn't didn't have more jets come back into that order, but maybe they will. Yeah, and and just to remind everyone, you know, the A220 started life as the Bombardier C series uh, before Airbus brought, bought the program, and Bombardier subsequently exited the commercial um, airline, aircraft business altogether. So um, these these A220s will be pre- manufactured in, God, I'm probably going to butcher this, Mirabelle, which is in Quebec. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it was an interesting requirement as part of it. But what also is interesting, and I, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this, Ned, is that uh, unlike with the CARES Act and the U.S. government aid, Air Canada is not required to recall any of the 22,000 employees that it furloughed or laid off. Uh, since the pandemic began. So it's just preserving the workforce as it is, as it was on April 1st. But it does require Canada to bring back the cities that they've suspended, which, uh, you know, I think labor and air service are both parts that that can be considered important to to an aid package. But I think the air service requirement is important because like you said, Canada Canada is a large country that relies on its air service. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of the cities that lost flights are small, remote cities. So, you know, these are places that that need the flights. So that's an important stipulation in there. Oh, it is. And, you know, when I, I asked WestJet and WestJet said it has already pledged to restore service to all 42 of the destinations that serve pre-pandemic. Porter, unfortunately, we don't know what's happening with Porter. I mean, it, well, we do know, I mean, the, the our favorite raccoon branded airline is, um, it had, has been grounded since last March and just this week, I think, said it will not take back, take to the skies again until June. Yeah. So. And they face potentially face new competition with uh, a new uh, startup called Connect Airways that hopes to launch flights from Billy Bishop to the U.S. beginning later this year. I mean, we'll see, but that that would uh, could be yeah, another nail in Porter's coffin. On Q400s, no less. Considering Billy Bishop's restrictions, I think it's about one of the f- it's one of the few <laughs> aircraft that you can actually fly into that airport. <laughs> yeah. Well, will they have what? What is their spokes? critter going to be is going to be an opossum, <laughs> I spoke to their CEO this week uh, and anyway no comment on their on their spokes critter yet so uh, we'll have to wait hmm. and see all right well I'm holding out hope for an opossum <laughs> they're, they're much much maligned but 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 still lovable <laughs> so we'll see I mean you know what could happen by uh 
by April 19th, which is this coming Monday, whether we where the, whether there'll be more aid from from Ottawa for the country's airlines or not. But yeah. let's shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, what's going on with Latam. This week's cover story was about. Uh, what might the future hold for Latin America's carriers? And one of its biggest just ha- made an announcement this week, right, Ned? They did. They're, uh, the LATAM Airlines Brazilian operating subsidiary, which formerly was TAM, as many mm-hmm. people will know, announced, uh, told staff at the end of last week that they are going to be retiring their A350s. Um, there, there's no timeline at this point. I spoke to a spokesperson for LATAM today, and they, they told me that uh, the timeline is dependent on the bankruptcy court, uh, mm. how that moves. And we all know bankruptcy courts move at their own pace on these things. But uh, yeah, LATAM is going to be streamlining its wide-body fleet around the Boeing aircraft, the 767, 777, and 787. Mm. You know, it's, uh, it's not surprising to me that they would remove the A350s. You know, remember, these were also, you know, they sold some of the delivery positions to Delta right. and their 2019 equity partnership deal that... that you know, split them from one world and American. Uh, but the A350s really were a legacy TAM order, whereas LATAM, or LAN as it was known then, was a Boeing 787, um, had a Boeing 787 order book. And, I, you know, they didn't give a reason for why, but they have more 787s in their fleet already than they have A350s. And if you want to streamline, you go with the plane that you have more of. So I yeah. think that's kind of what this came down to, cut costs and... You know, but speaking of the feature in Airline Weekly this week, I mean, Latin American carriers still face a lot of uncertainty with border closures and travel restrictions. And that's really hit LATAM hard with operating subsidiaries in multiple countries and wide body. You know, they just don't need as many wide bodies right now. And I think they're, they're foreseeing not needing as many for some years to come. And not to mention an almost uncontrolled COVID surge in Brazil. Absolutely, where these ten A350s are based, they op- right. yeah, they operate at Sao Paulo. So, yes, uh, France today just said they were halting all flights between uh, you know, France and Brazil because of that surge. So right. it's uh, it's challenging times ahead for LATAM, that's for sure. And I believe Goal, one of LATAM's competitors, said that it is uh, it is reducing its uh, capacity for for this month uh, because of the the COVID surge in in Brazil, and it. Uh, which is striking because domestic Brazil was almost back to 2019 levels at the end of 2020. And here we are just four months later and uh, you know, everyone's cutting again. Which shows us that the virus is, we may be done with the virus, but the virus is not done with us. <laughs> that is a very good way to put it, Madhu. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and just to go on a little bit about Latin America, I mean, as we covered in the feature story this week, written by Kristen Major, a contributor, um, the other thing that's that's posing a posing difficulties for not just LATAM but all carriers in the region is just the patchwork quilt of regulations and restrictions all over the continent. I mean, you know, you've got you go from Brazil, which had been relatively open, Mexico, which is completely open, to countries like Uruguay, which were very closed, and Chile, which is closing again, and it makes it really difficult for airlines or passengers to plan where where they're going to go. And how to how do you network? How do you plan your network in a for an airline that's focused in that region? How do you plan your network when from day to day you don't know which country will be open and which won't be? I think that's why we see most of the major airline bankruptcies in this crisis coming out of Latin America because they they face these challenges. Borders, you know, Avianca and Latam, uh, the two largest airline groups in South America, um, mm-hmm. 
excluding Euro Mexico at the moment, you know, they, they all operate in multiple countries and they're both in bankruptcy because they, they don't have state assistance yeah. through this crisis. And they, the uncertainty is just, uh, yeah, I think they found it insurmountable for, uh, for their expenses that they had to keep paying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, until Canada gave, forked over this $5 billion to Air Canada, I mean, Canada had been a holdout. But I think IATA reported the 1% of global state aid to airlines has come from the broader Latin America region, Latin America and Caribbean region. So, you know, these airlines are navigating a, a pandemic, a collapse of, of all traffic, a confusing and bewildering array of restrictions surging covid and all with very little help from their governments so it's uh, right. it's not a recipe for success not at all all right and we're back thanks for uh thanks for joining us for the airline weekly lounge podcast i'm your host maduni christian here with edward ned russell Ned, let's pick this up. Um, now, you know, we talked about Latin America. We talked about Canada. Let's go to um, the other big Western Hemisphere country where we're both based, and that's the U.S. Delta Airlines will report its earnings this week when this podcast, unfortunately, before we um, were recording this before Delta's earnings on Thursday. But uh, what, what are you expecting to hear from the Atlanta-based behemoth? Well, I'm expecting another loss. Uh, I think everyone <laughs> expects that much. I doubt it will be as big as, as the fourth quarter. You know, I think uh, the, the trends have been, especially in March, that travel is starting to recover. I think most of you have probably heard about Delta some operational issues the other weekend that forced them to unblock middle seats unexpectedly so that they could accommodate travelers from canceled flights. But I do expect uh, profits to losses to shrink and revenues to have risen in the first quarter. You know, the question is just by, you know, how much uh, American and United have both reported uh, revenues down in the first quarter in the mid 60% range. And I'm wondering if Delta is about the same as that as them. But yeah, it's a, uh, I think, I think the theme is going to be things have started to turn, but they're not, uh, not back, not right yet. No, it's impossible to even use the word back. What you're talking about, I mean, what, United expects its revenues to be down 66% and Americans 62%. That's I mean, I, I do think this all this talk about green shoots and a recovery, it's great. You hear, we're hearing that a lot from airline CEOs recently. Scott Kirby recently said, you know, we're, things are we're turning the corner. But it's important to remember, I mean, we're talking about companies that are reporting that their revenues are down. More than 60%. I mean, this is yeah. still staggering. No, absolutely. And I don't think we're going to see revenues recover to any level near 2019 until we start to get international travel to come back, especially right. for these major carriers. You know, United has the largest exposure international. And, you know, they, I believe revenue was over 50% from international. Am I, am I, or is it just traffic, Madhu? Correct me on this. <laughs> Madhu is making a silly face right now. So I, do, who listeners do not hold me to that. But United has the largest exposure to international yes. of the big three, and and you know, whatever percentage it is, it's still it's going to be down double digits until a significant portion of that comes back. Well, yes, and you know, I I just read something. I'm based in California, and, and California has vaccinated about 20 million residents. And I just read something um, rather startling in the local news, and that the 20 
there, there are many, the majority of countries around the world will not have vaccinated 20 million citizens, 20 million of their citizens until by the end of the year. So that does not augur well for international traffic's return. I mean, we're, we're, we in the U.S. are ahead of the game with vaccinations, but there are many countries in the world that have really not started their vaccination programs. Much of Africa has not started a vaccination program. Absolutely. And I mean, I've been reading about the, uh, the Summer Olympics in Tokyo just in the last couple of days in Japan, a major uh, industrialized nation about to hold you know, Olympic Games in July, and they're far behind the U.S. and, and some European countries in vaccination rates. So yeah, and Tokyo's it, closing back down again. Yes, exactly. It's it really is going to be a challenge for the international travel to come back. I mean, even in the U.S., numbers are are ticking up again. <laughs> Yet people, it doesn't seem to be stopping people from flying here. No, that's um, true. <laughs> but, but you know, the U.S. has shown that they're they're not they are not going to implement uh, domestic travel restrictions. That seems off the table at this point. So there really is a ceiling on how much the airlines here can recover until this international international travel begins to reopen in a significant way. And it's also important to remember, I mean, when you're looking at these revenues numbers of 66, 62, 70, whatever percentage down, um, even when international travel comes back, right? I mean, they're not making, United American Delta are not making money from like, you know, me going to Europe on vacation. I mean, they're making some money or you going to wherever it is you go on vacation. But, you know, um, they're, they're making money from from the front of the airplane. And when that tra- that business travel comes back is anyone's guess. Um, Absolutely. You know, the airlines that have spoken about premium revenues at the moment from about the front of the plane, they're talking about being finding the those leisure travelers that are willing to pay a bit more for that. Mm-hmm. But those aren't those aren't the, you know, last minute, you know, high dollar business travelers buying live flat seats to London like they saw prior to the pandemic. Those are, you know, Yes, it's more money than an economy seat, but it's 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 not the I don't know nine thousand dollar one way ticket to London that that they they saw before. So there's still a ways to go. And then I'm curious to I mean I'm curious to to hear what you're hearing from your sources because what I've heard is all over the map. I mean, you have some people saying there's a structural change in business travel. You know that the excuse me last minute ticket to Tokyo for two lunches or a, a day of meetings is just that that segment is completely gone and it'll be more about small at least in the near term small and medium-sized enterprises that you know ned's widget company going to sell widgets at your 10 vendors or your 10 bikes Madu. i'm gonna sell bikes Bikes. (laughs) well bikes might have widgets whatever so my my point is that that you hear that on the one hand and then you hear other people who are sort of pollyannish and saying well it's there'll be a brief lull but then it's all going to come roaring back and I, i'm just curious to hear what you're hearing from your sources it's funny you bring that up today because one of my sources actually posted on linkedin today that he was taking his first business trip uh, since the pandemic began hmm. with a photo boarding an airplane uh, i said this is a trip that he could have done over zoom but really wanted to get back out on the road and meet with customers. And I thought that was really um, you know, demonstrative of you know, there is a desire. You know, they talk about pent-up demand and leisure travel, but there's pent-up demand among business travelers as well. You know, I think, do I think it's all going to come roaring back next month? No, I do not. But once companies start to get, you know, have the budget and you know, willing to, to give the approval for travel, I think there's going to be a lot of these sales trips and everything that are going to come back now. Is well, it let's pause there. 
Yes. Let's pause that. Let's pause. I want to interrupt you just for a second. So there's pent up demand from business travelers to go to hit the road again. Is there pent up demand? <laughs> do you see that? Do you think CFOs have the same sort of um, and the accountants have that same sort of pent up desire to send their employees back on the road? Or are they going to look at the, the ledger and say, well, you know, you could do that sales call on Zoom? I think there's going to be that's that's the question. I think, yes, CFOs and accountants are going to be the the limiting factor here once once companies are comfortable putting employees out back on the road. So there's going to be a balance, a balancing act. Uh, some meetings, yes, I'm sure will move to Zoom. But I think there are going to be a lot of face to face meetings that have been held virtually that are going to come back. Now, I think the question is, is do we get back to, to you know, I think Bill what Bill Gates said 50% of business travel will disappear or something or do we mm-hmm. get back to you know 80% of business travel is is or only 20% disappear so 80% happens that's the question I I do think a lot of people want to to get back to these face to face meetings um you know my question is are they going to like you said are the you know fly to London for lunch and fly back I don't know if that's going to happen right away but if you go and you know have a couple of good sales meetings with a couple of customers over, you know, for a night or two. I, I think those are going to come back, you know, like, yeah. like these, it's always in-person uh, meetings are just always so much more productive than, than a zoom session. Although you, you, you know, then again, I mean, you, there was something that came out of the Tata group, the Indian conglomerate, multinational conglomerate a few months ago where an executive said he sold, he closed a billion dollar sale on zoom. One billion with a B. That must have struck fear and, and terror in the hearts of every airline CEO and caused company CFOs around the world to rejoice, right? Because <laughs> because if, if he could do it, then why, you know, what maybe that lunch meeting in Tokyo or London is just gone. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but I, know. but the question is, is that the outlier or is that the norm? That, I mean, I'm yes. Like, like we've we've used this example before. If you're Procter and Gamble and you're you want to sell toothpaste to CVS, you do not need to do that in person. But if you're Ned's Bike Company and you need to get into, you know, ten local bike stores, you probably have to go to those bike stores. Right. Right. You're not. So, you're not Cannondale or Trek or Bianca. <laughs> <laughs> you're Ned's. No, bike exactly. Company. Exactly. And I, I think you're, everyone's right that small, medium-sized businesses will be coming back first. We're already starting to see that trend. But, you know, by fall, if the U.S. continues, if, if U.S. and European nations continue on their vaccination rates and they start to hit 60, 70 percent, I think we're going to see a lot more business travel come back. Uh, the one second segment that I do wonder about are conferences. When are people going to feel comfortable going to a large conference? Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, I'm going to go see X, Y, and Z clients. Um, That's a good question. Yeah. I don't think anyone knows that answer, right? Right. Because I, mean, I, I have, I see different uh, challenges with a large conference than I do with, uh, you know, set up some one-on-one meetings and stuff. You're just seeing more people. We've all been away from crowds for so long. It, 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 I see different concerns there. And that's, I think that's a good question. Yeah, this is something our sister company, Event MB, which is part also part of Skift, has been covering pretty exhaustively. So, right. uh and yeah, I think it's anyone's guess. All right, let's 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 in the time we have left, let's let's talk about Frontier. I know, Ned, you're all over Frontier, and they're and you're all over root announcements in general. But what what is what is they what are they smoking in Denver? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, pot is legal in Denver, my dear. So is true. you know, whatever they're smoking may be perfectly legally. That's but true. That is anyway. true. But I mean, you were out last week. I think they. Um, 
Frontier announced something like 12 or 15 new routes and uh, and at least one new city in, in um, upstate New York. And this week they're at it again. And this is, they just- They're adding four new routes to their network this week. Four new destinations, sorry, mm-hmm. eight routes. Uh, returning to Anchorage and Durango and then adding Grand Junction and Kalispell in Montana to their map. You know, not large cities, so anyone in Anchorage probably would like to argue me on that. But um, yeah, it's- no, they're taking advantage of the of the the return of leisure travel. I think you look at all of the cities they're adding. You know, Durango, Grand Junction are you know, and Kalispell are outdoor destinations. Kalispell is near uh, Glacier National Park. Anchorage, I would argue, that's an outdoor destination as well, even though it's a large city. You know, these are taking advantage of the trends that we're seeing in travel, going these places where people can you know, socially distance and everything. I I think there is going to be a shift in the way people travel for some time, at least. You know, speaking from my own example, you know, I went to, to West Virginia on vacation, somewhere I would not have gone uh, prior to the pandemic, but mostly because I could get a cabin and, and stay away from people for most of the week. And, and importantly, you think- that you could drive there. That's absolutely exactly. Right. I have a small child and taking him on a plane is not uh, top of my list just at the moment. Um, but yes, so I think Frontier is looking at where people are going and they, they generally still, I think, want to get outdoors and, and adding destinations that fit that profile. Plus, if you look at this, they're operating sub-weekly frequencies on these yeah. routes, on one route to, to the Grand Junction. I mean, it's it's a low lift to, to add that. <laughs> I think it's also important to also remember that uh, the frontier is now flush with cash. That is right. They had their IPO the other week, so they they do have more cash. Oh, and we can't forget Frontier is known for announcing many routes and not actually ever launching them. So uh-huh. <laughs> we will wait. So we we have to wait and see if if all of these new routes happen. Yes, but it is an interesting airline to cover, and I, you're all over it, but it just seems like every day, I, I've just lost count of the number of announcements I get from them over the last few weeks. Pivot tables, my dude, pivot tables. <laughs> well, on that note, it's all fun and games until someone brings up Excel. So, <laughs> thank you once again for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Madhuri Christian. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at ER, that's ER for Edward Russell at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new issue of the weekly drops every week on Mondays, and uh, we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, Ned. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.